Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. The Dark Shard, Part 1 Colbert slammed his hands down on the desk. I won't do it! Really? Nadine stood, matching his pose, still powerful despite her age. You've poured everything into this project, and now you're just going to walk away. I don't think so. She moved to the window, folding her arms. Come here, Colbert. I want to show you something. He watched her carefully, looking for the bulge of concealed weapons, the subtle hint of a knife. But there was nothing. She was perfectly silhouetted against the pink and gold clouds, the setting sun giving everything a slightly surreal quality, so bright that it made the room seem dingy by comparison. As he walked around the desk to stand next to her, more of London came into view. The tops of the tallest buildings, St Mary's Axe, St Paul's Cathedral, came nowhere near to the height of this building, his building. Look down there, Nadine said, pointing at the Thames. It was a ribbon of copper, silt and sun mingling in churning chaos. There were boats of all sizes up and down it, mostly steamers, carrying goods all across the capital. How many ships do you think are serving the capital right now, Colbert? I don't know. Thirty? Fifty? More like two or three hundred. Down there is just a small proportion. A few of the many. All powered by Shardco steam engines. Your engine, Colbert. We've sold thousands to shipyards across the country, each one with your name on it. Colbert sighed. Get to the point. Ignoring him, Nadine moved around to the next side, and Colbert allowed himself to be pulled along in her wake. Look there. Waterloo Station, the busiest in the country. Every year, a hundred million souls are carried to and fro, pulled by your engines. Tiny, powerful, almost faultless. Designed by you. And now you're taking my engine to war, Colbert said. He shook his head sadly. Nadine, what happened to you? When we started this project, it was about making things better for the citizens. But Nadine had already moved round again. Westerham Heights, the highest point in London, after this building, of course. Look, even now you can see how many dirigibles are swarming around the platform there, like wasps over jam. How much trade are they bringing, from the Americas, from Asia, East Germany, France, Spain, New Holland, all over the globe? That whiskey you've been drinking, I can smell it on your breath, brought here by dirigible, by your engine. The fourth and final window was grey in comparison, clouds of smoke and steam rising from the myriad factories, their broad roofs covering the ground like a patchwork. And here's the heart of the beast, Nadine said. Her voice had dropped to almost a whisper. The coalface and the vitrification plant. This company, this city, would be nothing without you. You've given them everything, and you intend to walk away from it. 
Colbert turned away from the view. Do you still intend to use what you call a weapon against them? To wage war on a people we know nothing about? A war they started 70 years ago, when their so-called Philadelphia experiment landed here and killed over a thousand people? Nadine turned, and Colbert almost recoiled from the intense fury on her lined face. I lost everything in that attack. My parents, my brother, and I will never forgive them. She turned back to the view. When the mayor opened this building, do you know what he said? It is prodding up through the frail integuments of the planet like an intergalactic spear. A spear, Colbert. Even that dimwit could see the potential. I won't be part of it. I can't. I hereby resign from the company. Colbert moved back to the desk, pulling out the letter from his jacket pocket. It was already a little dog-eared, a greasy thumbprint decorating the back. He placed it down amongst the blueprints and supply orders that covered the desk. The project will move forward, with or without you. Goodbye, Nadine. Colbert turned and began to walk towards the elevator. The muscles in his back tensed and relaxed seemingly with a will of their own, and at every step he expected to feel something, a dagger, a bullet. But as he entered the elevator's wooden compartment and turned around, Nadine was still looking out over the view. He pressed the button marked G, and only when the latticed shutters rolled closed did he let out the breath he had been holding. As the elevator rattled its way down, Colbert looked out into the superstructure of the shard. Only the very top was habitable. Everything below, down almost to the ground, was bare steel girders and the complex chain of generators that would provide its power. Little sunlight was able to penetrate the huge panels of crystallised coal that lined the building, but there was enough to see a few workers still making their final checks. Bundles of wire thicker than a man's torso snaked all over, throttling the thick metal and choking its walkways. God, how did I let it get this far? Colbert muttered, slumping against the elevator's back wall. He ran a hand through his short hair and closed his eyes. As he walked through the construction site in the foyer and out into the street, he could feel the pressure of the immense building above him bearing down. Mr. Harris! Colbert looked round as a short young man ran towards him, clutching a sheaf of rolled up paper. His flame red hair was like a beacon amidst the toing and froing of workers in brown boiler suits. Francis, listen, I... Mr. Harris, they need you to sign off on the frequency shifts. The men are waiting to do the final calibration. I don't, Colbert said, but then a thought slid into his mind, like a shard of glass hidden among ice. He stared into the trusting eyes of his assistant, former assistant now, and held out his hand for the plans. They walked to a nearby workbench and unrolled the paper. The tissue-thin sheets were layered up, each one adding more complexity to the immense engine that was contained in the building. Right then, Colbert said, sliding a pencil from out of his pocket. He started to add in the final set of readings they'd taken that morning, then paused. Um, say, Francis, can you see the foreman around? No, sir. Francis looked away, 
his gaze sweeping the building site, and in that moment of inattention, Colbert wrote the final set of numbers. Quick as a flash, he rolled the plans up and gave them back to the young boy. Here, take them direct to the men up on 33, and tell them that I have allowed for a small variance in the vibrations from the Earth's crust. Those figures are correct. He watched Francis memorise this little fragment of nonsense, the boy's lips moving slightly, and then nod. Without another word, Colbert turned and left the site. He walked down Tooley Street and out towards Bermondsey, the streets quietening as the night came on. Despite the heat of the day, he half-buttoned up his tweed jacket, nursing a coldness in his breast that no fire could salve. The occasional steam carriage hummed past, its exposed engine bearing the burnished Colbert mark that should have made him feel accomplished. Instead, it fed the sick feeling that had festered inside him for months. The iron railings that surrounded Southwark Park came into view, and Colbert thrust his hands into his pocket, whistling a broken tune. The steps down to the research facility were deliberately ordinary. No guards stood outside the metal door, and no signs were screwed to the wall. A yellowing foam mattress and the smell of urine completed the image of abandonment. Colbert pulled the little four-pronged key out of his pocket and fumbled for a moment with the hidden lock. The door opened noiselessly on its oiled hinges. A set of stairs led down inside, lit by regular amberic lights that hummed slightly. Colbert took the stairs at a jog, wondering how long he had before the news of his withdrawal filtered down. Would there be an armed escort waiting for him at the bottom? Or just a hail of bullets? It was almost a disappointment to see that the short corridor leading to the Eldridge was empty, but for the meaty presence of the security guard. He looked over at Colbert and nodded. Mr. Harris? Evening, sir. Colbert gave him a weak smile as he passed, trying not to notice how close the guard's hand was to the butt of his pistol. As casually as he could, the man moved into the much colder air of the huge underground cavern, into the graveyard of the Eldridge. If you've got some writing you would like to see featured on Pocket Fiction, please get in touch with me through the website, stevecookfiction.com. <laughs>